Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the College Football Week 5 look ahead featuring none other than the God of Thunder himself, Thor Nystrom. It is going to be a good day here. We are going to be looking over the best lines that you can possibly find for Week 5 of the College Football Slate. We're going to be looking at what the lines are, what they, Thor thinks they should be, and where he thinks they're going to be moving before the week's end. So you can know if you want to be betting early or wait until closer to kickoff. Thor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Thomas. The Kansas Jayhawks are 5-0. Your Syracuse Orange are 5-0. It's another great day to be a college football fan. It is a fantastic day indeed. I am feeling good. The Orange, I have never seen this happen before, and it was a bad beat for anyone who had a ticket on the Orange on the spread because they did absolutely cover the 53-point spread they had. But if you had a ticket, you're out of luck because for the first time I've ever seen they agreed to shorten the third and fourth quarter by five minutes apiece. They played 10-minute quarters in the second half. I've never seen that before. Yeah, crazy situation. You had a line that opened up at Syracuse minus 50. It closed at Syracuse minus 53. Some books, it got up to 54, some of the offshores. But it was somewhere between 50 and 54, anyone that bought a ticket on that game. Syracuse was up 49 to nothing at halftime. Anyone holding a Syracuse ticket was feeling pretty good after two quarters. And then Dino Babers agreed with the Wagner coaching staff to shorten the third quarter and the fourth quarter to, to a 10 minute thing, which uh, people out there just, just to explain to you some of how the sports book sports book works. You don't have to complete a full 60 minute game for a game to be graded, but you do have to get over the 55 minute threshold. And so that game, it clocked in at 50 minutes which nullified all tickets purchased on that game. So even though Syracuse ended up winning 59 to nothing, covering all tickets that would have been purchased on them, nobody got paid out for a Syracuse bet because the game did not go over the book's limit for what a game needs to to get graded. Yep, and thems can be the break sometimes. That's what it was here, but I personally don't care. I'm just glad that we came away with yet another W. Not that this one was really in much doubt. But Thor, today we're going to be going over some of the biggest games of the week as well as the games that you're telling us have the biggest discrepancy between the line and what you think it should be. But let's start off with the biggest one of them all. College game day is headed to Kansas as they take on the TCU Horned Frogs who just absolutely thwomped at Oklahoma last week. I didn't necessarily not see that coming, but I certainly it's still weird to see TCU dominate Oklahoma like that. But this game, Kansas is going to be getting four and a half points. Where do you think the line should be in this one? Um, I, I think it should be a little bit higher towards the TCU side. And this, you know, I, it, I'm remiss to say because I'm a Kansas grad, of course. But TCU has, like, it, that was a team that I was higher on over the summer than the marketplace. And they've hopped over every marker that I've even set for them it, going through the Oklahoma game this past weekend. Um, that, that game was probably my biggest bet regret of the weekend because I didn't bet it. My numbers were screaming at me to bet on TCU and they were on the, the final cut of my, my chopping block. And I talked to some of my TCU sources and they were a little bit more pessimistic about, uh, TCU covering that game, but it speaks to some of these programs that have jumped way up over the off season. Kansas is a much more precipitous example of this, but it's you almost I mean, not only do you have to get ahead of the marketplace, you have to get ahead of what your own head is thinking. And even like the the people that are are more familiar with those programs, because the the historical precedent of what we've seen in the recent history, it it, it it has such an effect on the way that you perceive these teams when we have seen Kansas is clearly a better team than anything close to what anyone's wildest dreams could have expected to this point. It's almost the same way with TCU. TCU is a, I mean, but on a higher end of the of the spectrum, TCU is a legitimate Big Twelve championship contender. They absolutely are, and and you know, and I talked about this over the summer where last year's team they had these two major weaknesses that caused the entire Gary Patterson regime to to come down to crater. It was the passing offense, the rushing offense happened to be really really good last year. It is again, but it was the the passing offense uh, brought the whole offense down. And then the defense overall, which was weird with a Patterson team, this team uh, now moving to 2022, 
they brought back all of this different experience on defense. They had nine or 10 starters back on offense. They brought back a bunch of guys too. And then they hired Sonny Dykes, the air raid guru who directly addressed the passing attack thing. This team, there was no dearth of talent on TCU. I'm, Gary Patterson's last team that was getting its head pushed in in some of these games, that was a talented team as well. It's just that things went askance. That, again, the specific on-field things that caused that to happen, those things have been directly addressed. TCU has jumped so far up. Kansas has, of course, as well. But this is a great measuring stick for both teams. Uh, my line on this game is TCU minus 6.4 points. Uh, it opened, I think, at five or five and a half. And then you've seen some early money come in on Kansas, which is not necessarily a surprise going to the other side, because not only is Kansas five and oh straight up, they are also five and oh against the spread. And they pulled off, I believe, three outright upsets to this point. I believe they've they've been an underdog in three of those games. So I, I can see why the marketplace is starting to trust them, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater with regards to TCU. Because it's the same kind of a story. It, it's just, again, at a higher higher level of that spectrum. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game, I think. I mean, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see if Kansas can keep it going. Because, come on, wouldn't that be a fun story? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't have to tell you. You don't have to tell me. I mean, like, <clears throat> for me, Kansas having – if they would have gone 4-8, and eight, that that's an interesting story to me. Because that, that is a jump up from every season that I've – I watch every snap of Kansas football. That's a step up from every single season that I've seen now. What is it now? 11 years, 12 years. Like, you know, I'm like Tom Hanks and Castaway. I have been sequestered from quality football from my alma mater for so long. I'm out there talking to my volleyball and painting on a face, you know, talking about the Mark Mangino days. And now all of a sudden, manna from heaven. It's like we've been, you know, rescued from the island. But where Kansas is now... I, I talked about before the, you know, beyond your wildest expectations before Kansas already this season is way beyond the wildest expectations of even the biggest Kansas Homer. And there doesn't get bigger Kansas football homers than me. I, I think there was about 20 of us that, that watch every snap over the last decade of Kansas football to get to this point. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it tickles us all pink, but I mean, beyond that, it is probably the story of college football to this point of the season just because it it was so wildly unpredictable. We have seen some things that are unpredictable this season. Kansas starting out with that record and, and winning some legitimate games. They've beaten three power five teams. They have beaten three bowl teams from last year. They have won two road games against legitimate opponents. Both of them were bowl teams last year. There is nothing fluky about what Kansas is doing. There hasn't been one game where they were soundly outplayed and they luck boxed it at the end. They have controlled all of these games so far. But again, TCU is a different sort of opponent for them. TCU is a team. People watched them last year, you know, and, and they might be surprised on, on a different level with them. But again, that TCU team had all the talent in the world, and now they're making use of it. So it's, it's, it's a different sort of a thing. But again, a, a great measuring stick game. I do think that line is a little bit objectively low because um, I don't think people are giving TCU enough credit. And I think at this point now, the market has swung a little bit on Kansas where now everybody wants to believe in Kansas. Um, if, if that line comes down, certainly I'm not going to bet against my alma mater, but if, if that thing comes down anymore and it's at, you know, four, but especially three and a half or especially three, if that number gets down there for me, that would be a buy signal on TCU that, that the market has gone too far on the Kansas side. And the, by the way, I will say that as far as an in-game specific thing, Max Dugan, the TCU quarterback, he it was a guy who was an incumbent starter for them and started multiple years for them. Max Dugan is a kid who has very good mobility and he's got a strong arm. His bugaboo has always been accuracy. And so when Sonny Dykes got hired as the TCU coach, everybody expected TCU to turn that, the job over to Chad Morris's kid, Chandler Morris. He's, sm he's shorter than Max Dugan. He weighs less than Max Dugan. He does not have Max Dugan's arm. And he does not have Max Dugan's athleticism either, but he's more accurate. And he understood that the spread system, that, that the whole air raid thing, et cetera. He was a better fit for it, but he comes out in the opener against Colorado. The one half that, that Morris played the TCU offense was not moving against, against one of the worst teams in the FBS. 
Colorado just fired its coach earlier today as we're coming to you on, on Sunday. They fired Carl, Carl Durrell. But anyway, what, once uh, Chandler Morris got injured, they bring in Max Dugan. They were scoring touchdown, touchdown, touchdown throughout that, you know, the, the second half. And then all, the, the next game, they, they played an, uh, an FCS team. But Dugan played awesome in that game. That wasn't, you know, a measuring stick or anything like that. But then now last week they play Oklahoma and Dugan looked awesome. So it's like what a, a big key for this game is how is Max Dugan going to do through the air against Kansas? Kansas def, uh, secondary has played way better than, than we were anticipating so far this season. And they've been particularly good at making plays on the ball. So if Max Dugan throws a couple up where, where they're errant or he makes the wrong decision, you could see the field getting flipped really quick. Um, but if Max Dugan keeps playing the way that he's been playing, TCU has the talent advantage across the formation. Their best receiver, they, they don't even throw it to him. They haven't thrown it to him a ton yet. But Quentin Johnson, I think he's a legitimate top 50 NFL draft prospect. He's sort of like a poor man's Julio Jones in terms of his frame, in terms of his ball skills, in terms of running after the catch with the ball. Super, super talented kid. And then they got two or three other receivers as well. Kansas, I don't know, can go cornerback for, you know, cornerback for receiver across the formation. But again, that's all going to come down to Dugan because I think the TCU receivers are going to win that matchup. Can Dugan be accurate enough to take advantage of that on the one side? I also think Jalen Daniels going to the other side. I think he's going to be able to take advantage of some of the, the TCU defensive stuff as well. Even though that TCU defense is up, Jalen Daniels has just been playing so well so far between the rushing and between the passing. Again, it's going to be a very interesting game, but objectively trying to put down my, my crimson and blue glasses for just a second, I, I probably would lean to TCU at, with where the line is right now. And again, especially if that thing toggles into the threes, um, I, I'd probably be betting on TCU. The next game up that we got here, USC. They took down the Sun Devils last week. Now they will take on Washington State. And they are going to be playing this one as 10 and a half point favorites. Do you think this line should be a little bit higher? I do. Yeah. My, my line on it is USC minus 13.3. We've seen a weird thing with the marketplace with, with USC where it's like almost every, every other week, it's like one week uh, the, 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 the market is way heavier on USC. So you have to pay the USC tax, but then it's like the next week they'll be doubting USC. And then like you get, you're sort of getting line credit if you bet on USC. It's weird. It's it's almost like it's matchup specific. And, and you can tell that the market does not have its finger on USC yet whatsoever. The sharp betters don't. The public does. Nobody does at, at this point. But USC has continued to win. Some of these games in sort of inauspicious circumstances or sort of through things that the, the stats would point to as potentially fluky. For instance, like dominating the turnover margin in their first four games, something that is not sustainable, especially knowing how many new starters they had on that defense, but the offense is going to get better and better and better. Uh, we've already started to see some of that, um, you know, th their offensive talent, you put it up against dang near any team in the nation. So uh, for me, this line is short. I also think the market trusts Washington state. So, so I think it's a little bit of residual doubt on the USC side, a little bit of doubt, or I, I, I'm sorry, a little bit of doubt for USC, but but um, being more confident in Washington State with some of these performances that they put up, um, I, I'm showing almost three points of line value on USC with where the line opened at. I'm with you. I think that this, I'm probably going to end up betting USC in this one, but I am certainly not the expert here, but I just don't trust Washington State at this point. I, I, I think that USC, especially on home soil here, is going to be able to figure it out. But the next game up, it's definitely a little more close to home because I cannot stand the fact that Clemson took down NC State this weekend because we were going to get college game day in the, in the Syracuse-NC State game. But instead, Clemson comes out victorious, and now they head to Boston College as 20-and-a-half-point favorites. I will say, though, this is not the Clemson team that had Trevor Lawrence. They have taken a real step back. Oh, well, yeah, for sure, for sure. But, I mean, on, on Saturday, yesterday, as we're coming to you right now, was a very impressive performance by Clemson in lieu of the circumstances. They had almost their entire defense either ruled out before the game or got injured or ejected in the first half. 
And so the fact that they held on and ended up winning by 10, I, I believe beating a very quality NC State team, again, in lieu of those circumstances, was pretty crazy. Like Brian Brise was ruled out right before the game. Tyler Davis was out. They, they had one of those stud edge rushers was out. They lost one of the safeties to a targeting ejection, uh, I believe, in the second quarter of that game. Their, their linebacker that makes all the line calls, he was out with an injury, I believe, in the first quarter. Um, with regards to this handicap, so again, very impressive that, that they did what they did to NC State. They controlled that entire game with essentially their B-team defense. So for me, that is super impressive. Yes, they're not the national championship Clemson teams, you know, whether it's the Lawrence team or the, the Watts team, whatever. But like, I mean, it, again, in, in, in lieu of circumstances, this game, what you need to pay attention to this week is the reports coming out of Clemson about the front seven, the health of those guys. Um, you know, again, Brise was out. You have the injury questions with Davis. A couple of the edge rusher, rushers are compromised. Have to see about that linebacker. Uh, what what his ailment is and if he could be back as well but the reason that that awesome Clemson you know objectively awesome Clemson front seven is so important in this matchup is Boston College has one of the worst offensive lines not just in the power five in the entire FBS it has been stunning to watch how far the Boston College offensive line fell off from what we knew of it in recent seasons they I mean like you go back the last five years they have sent numerous offensive linemen into the NFL, but it went from that to a dumpster fire overnight in one season. And I can tell you, uh, Zay Flowers, the receiver from Boston College, who was willing to listen to NIL offers over the offseason and ended up deciding to come back to Boston College. And he made a big deal of it. Of I turned down all these other offers where I was going to get more money, et cetera. Uh, I don't think he's puffing his chest out about that anymore. I, I, I think Zay Flowers would wish he could rewind the clock to the offseason and leave Boston College. Phil Jerkovic might be thinking the same and or I wish I'd gone to the NFL, but he was in a tough spot because he had most of his previous season had been wiped out with an injury. And when he was playing, he was compromised with that injury. But those guys are being hamstrung by that offensive line. Now they got this one game of, you know, it's like every dog has its day. And that was Boston College yesterday against Louisville. They took advantage of this Louisville team that has been cha essentially chasing its tail all season. Uh, nobody can seem to figure out exactly what Louisville's identity is. What kind of team do they want to be? What exactly is Scott Satterfield's long-term vision? It, it, it's like Scott Satterfield got on the hot seat. He, he expected things to go different, but then all of a sudden he found himself on the hot seat. And then this offseason, he just spent going YOLO in the, the transfer portal. And he did win some derbies for, like, some of these high-profile guys. And so you were wondering, like, well, maybe maybe he's on to something, you know, being aggressive. And he was, like, Lane was aggressive. Obviously, Lincoln Riley was the most aggressive. But, like, maybe, you know, so, sort of along that line of continuum. And maybe he, he shored up the deficiencies, the very obvious ones that we had seen with the Louisville team the season previous, the, the two years previous or whatever. But one of those, the main guys got injured, Jermaine Lowell, the guy that they brought him from Arizona State. Some of the other ones are not playing as well as they had thought. So it's it's not only strategically short, I mean, game in and game out, short term, that you're sort of scratching your head or long term of what exactly is Satterfield doing here. Um, you also have the thing of the the things, the, the, the roster moves that they were making to try to shore up some of these deficiencies either are not working out or the plan got foiled through injury or, or whatever um, for Bo as far as Boston college goes, if Clemson's front seven is as depreciated by injuries and attrition as it was in the previous game against NC state, th that would be the only scenario where someone should consider betting on Boston college. But even in, in this game, because that the discrepancy between Clemson's front seven and Boston College's offensive line is that precipitous where it doesn't really even matter what the point spread is because if if, if the one train starts rolling, Boston College is going to have a real problem. Like Jerkovic is going to be seeing multiple guys in his face immediately after getting every snap, if, if that's the case. But it, I, I think it's very dependent on that because if Clemson does still have all those guys out, they're coming off of a big win, 
if if they're still playing all the 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 second stringers in the front seven, and then the third stringers become the rotational guys because Dabo does like to to rotate guys in. Venables did too when he was there. Um, if if that's still the case, and maybe they Clemson withholds people because they know the Boston College stinks this year. That would be the thing that I'd be monitoring for this game. Otherwise, I don't have any interest in it. Um, but th- th- you need to know about Clemson's front seven depth. If, if, if all the Clemson guys are back on Saturday, I actually might bet on Clemson just because they will overwhelm Boston College's offensive line like a, like a tidal wave. The next game that we've got up here, Texas versus Oklahoma. Oh, you know, it's always a good one. And Oklahoma is going to be getting four and a half points here. Is Texas really back? I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I go that far. Uh, but we have the, to ask every time. Yeah, the, the the key for this one is is Quinn Ewers back. Um, we have thought each of the last two games that we were going to see Quinn Ewers. The one two games so before this past weekend, he he had become listed on the depth chart as a co-starter again. He had returned to practice provisionally, and then he, he went through like the warmups and stuff, but he didn't play in that one. And then last week we were hoping for him too. And, and it was the same sort of a thing where they were listing him on the depth chart. He warmed up before the game, uh, you know, all that sort of, he, he, he was at practice, stuff like that, but did not end up playing in that one, which, you know, in, in, in one sense, it's like, well, for two weeks, they've sort of indicated that he very well may be back for that game, but he hasn't played. So maybe we should be more pessimistic about Quinn Ewers' status for this game. But on the other hand, I remember two weeks ago when there was the report of like, Quinn Ewers could actually play this weekend. And, and like, I called someone and I was like, is, is this BS? Cause it was way ahead of what the timeline initially that they, the text had given us for Quinn Ewers potential recovery. So I was pretty stunned two weeks ago. And, and then, you know, it was like, is he that far ahead of the schedule of his, you know, recovery timeline, whatever. Um, And, and, you know, of course, then again, he didn't end up playing. He also did not end up playing. Uh, yesterday against West Virginia but the important thing to note is the Oklahoma game was always circled it's not just circled on the team calendar for Texas once Quinn Ewers was injured if you go back and you google the stories from the day after Quinn Ewers's injury and and the the Austin beat reporters writing up that game almost every single one of them was like the target date for Quinn Ewers's return is the Red River Red River rivalry game against Oklahoma this is the game that they were getting them ready for. I would expect Quinn Ewers to play because of the indication we got in the last two weeks, because this was the game that was on the timeline. It, you know, it wasn't like a pie in the sky thing. This was the correct timeline for Quinn Ewers to return. So I think, you know, between that, uh, we'll see about Xavier Worthy. how they, you know, he a hundred percent, but if you got a hundred, you know, 90% Quinn Ewers, let's say, and then you got close to a hundred percent Xavier Worthy, Bijan Robinson and all those guys going up against this Oklahoma team that we have seen now mightily struggle against Kansas State and TCU, two teams that were not being talked about as Big te- uh, Big Twelve title contenders coming into the season. Um, th- this Texas offense could give them real problems, and we saw what Texas's defense did to a full strength Alabama offense in Week Two. The Texas defense is up this year, so. And it bears mentioning uh, Dylan Gabriel's status. Dylan Gabriel suffered a uh, one of those injuries yesterday where it was like you sort of hold your breath, you know, and then they they went to the commercial and they, they carted him off the field. He took a really nasty shot to his head. Um, we'll see. You know, we never know with that, especially because in college they, they don't have to do the injury report. And, in fact, the coaches, not only do they not, not have to give the injury report, they can also hide behind, the, essentially hide behind the HIPAA laws where I, I don't need to give you guys any information because I'm protecting the kid, the college kid, the college student, yada, yada. So we don't get a lot of accurate injury information for those reasons, but that's something where you're going to need to monitor the situation this week and then read in between the lines because because these things are very important as far as this handicap goes. If Dylan Gabriel's not playing, Oklahoma is up uh, – up poops creek in, in in this game oklahoma's not been impressive all season we saw texas manhandle west virginia last week with hudson card starting if, if they're at full strength going against an oklahoma team without dylan gabriel um texas might be back for one weekend 
<laughs> now the next game that we've got up here and the last one we're going to get to before we get into some of your biggest line discrepancies michigan versus indiana indiana getting 22 and a half points at home here but this michigan team jim we know that jim harbaugh is not afraid to just blow teams out and i am not of the belief that indiana is even remotely good i feel like this could be a whole lot more than 22 points by the end of it no, yeah, I mean, Indiana stinks. Um, my line on this game is Michigan minus 23.3. If I was setting the line as a bookmaker, I probably would have installed it at Michigan minus 24.5, to be honest, because I, I, I wouldn't mind having exposure to the Michigan side on this one. Indiana is the luckiest. This this is not an opinion. Second-order wins or, you know, pick your stat of choice. Indiana, the Indiana Hoosiers are the singular most lucky team in college football all season in terms of what their expected wins would be based on their performance on the field against what their wins actually are in the standings. Um, I, they're a fraudulent team. Michigan is anything but a fraudulent team. Uh, Indiana stuff, of, they pulled multiple wins out, out, out of their you-know-what at the very end in games where they were soundly outplayed this season. The, the fourth quarter, uh, late fourth quarter heroics are not going to be there against Michigan. I, I would expect Michigan to absolutely wipe the floor with Indiana. Now let's talk about this next game up here. We're going to get into some of your line discrepancies, and we're going to start off with one more big game here because we got the number two team in the land, Georgia, laying 27 and a half against Auburn. The times have been a little tougher for Auburn as of late. They for sure have. Yeah, uh, Brian Harson. <laughs> Managed to save his job again um, this week. You know, it, it's funny. It's like the Brian Harson show of like how long he can prolong the, the inevitable. The previous week, there was all the reports the day before the game against Missouri that if Harson loses to Missouri, he will be fired, which nobody was surprised by that at all because everybody at Auburn has wanted to fire Harson since the end of last season. Um, and then Auburn absolutely should have lost that game. They, they were outplayed by Missouri during it. Um, even at the end of the game, it required fluky circumstances to get into overtime. It also required fluky circumstances for Auburn to prevail in overtime. They shouldn't have won that game at multiple different junctures, whether it was in regulation or whether it was in overtime, but they managed to. So then Harson held on for another week. And then this past week against LSU, it was the opposite. Uh, Auburn, and and I, I say this with a tear in my eye uh, to quote uh, Rick Flair, but uh Auburn, like, because I was on LSU, uh, minus eight or whatever. And Auburn, I have to acknowledge, actually outplayed LSU on the field for the vast majority of that game. LSU was able to pull it out, I believe, by four at the end. Unfortunately for me, it wasn't enough to cover my ticket. But Auburn probably deserved to win that game. And they didn't, but they played well enough. And in conjunction with the the what was a fluky win the week before, Harson's going to be hanging on for one more week. Um, this does not seem like a good proposition for Brian Harson this week. You got the best performance from your team of the season last week, right? The best effort that you have gotten from them, a back against the wall game. And you came up just short, probably shouldn't have, but that that's, that's the way it went down. You took a loss in a game that you could have won. And now you got to turn around the next week after being deflated like that, you need to head into Athens, Georgia, to face this Georgia team that has gone from this Goliath, the national, the defending national champions, then in week one, they wiped the floor with Oregon. Everyone's toasting their champagne glasses to the Georgia Bulldogs. But over the last two weeks, now they're starting to get mocked by the same people that were praising them before. And they are well aware of it between uh, essentially no showing the Kent state game. You know, they just thought that it, they were going to roll the ball out and they were going to play around with them. Like, a cow with a mouse and Kent state actually showed up for that game and was game with them. Um, and then last yesterday on Saturday against Missouri, uh, it, it was, it was stunning how poorly Georgia was playing in that game and allowing Missouri to, I shouldn't even say allowing them to hang around because Missouri led for long portions of that game. Um, and Georgia was, it wasn't even like the, the Kent State game that the effort was very clearly lacking, like from the start. It was like, okay, boys, like the game started, you know, like stuff like that. The Missouri game was weird because 
there was these several different spots where like Georgia just did something incredibly stupid or inopportune that gifted Missouri, uh, whether it's field position or a, a situation or whatever. Um, and then they got behind the eight ball and then had to come back at the very end. But either way, now Auburn has to go into essentially what is a pissed off hornet's nest. I, I don't know if I can say pissed off on, on the pod, but Georgia is they have not been locked in at all the last two weeks, but they're going to be reading about that and, and how now they've dropped in the polls, all this different stuff. People aren't trusting them anymore. Yada, yada, yada. Not a great situational spot for Auburn. A locked in Georgia is going to wipe the floor with this Auburn team. And I've been waiting for Auburn to quit on Harson. It's going to it's going to happen when the chips are down at some point. This might be the opportunity for it. And then they just get boat race and then that's the end of Harson. Even though my 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 system showing a couple of points of theoretical line value on Georgia, it's not baking in the context of, of the ancillary details of this thing. I definitely would not bet on Auburn in that game. The next one up here, we've got Ohio State and Michigan State. And Michigan State getting 24 and a half points at home here. Do you like the Buckeyes to be able to just absolutely run over this game? Or is Michigan State going to be able to put up a little bit of a fight here? It's This is this is assuredly going to be a stay away game for, game for me. It's another game where my numbers are pointing at Michigan State. But they've done that now for multiple weeks. I, I'm not the only, and and last week it burned me. That that you know that was one of my my worst ones too. I I tried to take the eight nine points of Michigan State against Maryland, and we 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 saw how that one worked out. It it, it has been a struggle for people who do what I do to try to catch up to how far Michigan State has fallen, because it goes beyond even what would sort of the band of outcomes of what data would suggest is theoretically probable. Like Michigan state is they're falling beneath the band of outcomes. Like this is actually bad for Mel Tucker. It's not bad for him in terms of his, his job status. They can't fire him because he's got $95 million left on his deal, but it, it doesn't show very well for him and his dedication is after getting that big deal. Uh, we're going to have to see what goes on at Michigan State because now you have this marriage long-term. N- neither side can get out of it. Mel Tucker is going to need to get that motivation back. Um, that I, This team might um, – th- the point I'm trying to make is this team might have arrived into this season dead on arrival, uh, essentially. It doesn't seem like Tucker made as many alterations and additions through the transfer portal as he could have. One player leaving a team. Kenneth Walker in in this case shouldn't especially a running back in the game of football should not cause you to go from a consensus top 10 team to a team that now might be out of the consensus top 50. Like it, it just shouldn't have. I mean, Michigan state brought back a decent amount of players and yes, they have had inactives, uh, you know, maybe more than the average team so far, you know, Jaden Reed missed one of those lopsided losses. They've had multiple injuries to key guys, et cetera. But even so, that that far of a drop off, I I tried. It's funny, I, Thomas. I, I went on a, a VSIN show on on Friday, and they asked me about that Michigan State Maryland game, and I just sort of chuckled and I said, like, I have to do it because my system is yelling at me one more time that Michigan there's value on Michigan State. So I said, I said I'm gonna bet them, but I I said I promise you guys this: if Michigan State does not cover this game and they're not particular like it wasn't a fluky reason that they didn't cover it i said that is the last time i will try to stick my hand in the cookie jar of michigan state under the auspice of the idea that i'm getting value by buying low i'm done with that i will not put any more of my hard-earned money behind mel tucker um at least in the short term so even though again my numbers are showing i i got ohio state minus 20.6 in that game so my numbers are showing around four points of line value on Michigan State, but it's we can't we can't manually adjust Michigan State down far enough to recognize what the the Vegas lines are on it. I, I just got to stay away from their games and or bet on the other team. But this one probably with where this line started, this game being in East Lansing, it's probably going to be a stay away informational game for me. I think that's definitely a wise course of action here. Ohio State, 
I don't know. I think they'll be tired off the beatdown of Rutgers, you know? <laughs> Rutgers covered in that game, though, very importantly. They, they did cover in that game. That is important to realize. And now we're going to go from uh, a so-so Ohio team to the class of the Buckeye State. Miami of Ohio is taking on Kent State here, and Miami's getting three and a half points in this game. I know this is going to be one of the big ones. I'm surprised game day didn't decide to go here instead. But where are you going in Miami of Ohio versus Kent State? The uh, the good people of Miami, Ohio are going to be very happy that, that you heard that, including shout out to my buddy Tom Downey, uh, a Cowboys writer that, that went to Miami of Ohio, who calls them the real Miami. Uh, when, whenever we would do the online dinos for NCAA 14, Downey would always immediately call Miami of Ohio. Um, so it, 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 anyway, um, I, I, I actually my entire mom's side of my family are Buckeyes, except my great aunt who went to Miami of Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the 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 real Miami, I guess, as as Downey would say, um, this game is it's another one that's really interesting to me, and the reason why is because coming into today, like when you know, for me Sundays, I watch my Vikings, and then the rest of the day I'm running my as Thomas knows, I'm running my numbers and, and get my injury notes up until we shoot the the show or whatever. This game was one where I look, you know, when you're looking at the card before you run the numbers, it's one where you're sort of hoping that you're going to get a value on a specific side. And then it didn't happen for me. I, I, I came in liking and preferring Kent state um, because coming into the year, like I, I like Sean Lewis going back years and years and years. He was Dino Babers, his longtime offensive coordinator when Dino like, like had all the explosive offenses and, and stuff like that, like Bowling Green uh, specifically or whatever. And he has done all that stuff with Kent State. And typically you get a lot of value with Kent State in early October uh, during the, the Lewis era. Um, the reason why is because Kent State notoriously, uh, for their four non-conference games, notoriously takes three enormous checks from the Blue Bloods. Uh, this year it was... Georgia, because that was the one that they came close in Washington, and I'm gonna blank on 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 the third one. But anyway, that that's what they do every year, and then they play one FCS team, so that like one of the four they'll take the win. But they usually lay down in those games. It's not just a talent discrepancy; it's that Kent State wants they want to set themselves up as well as they can for the max schedule in the short term. That's what the coaching staff wants. And then, of course, the athletic uh, program wants to set the rest of their sporting programs up well long-term. It's the reason why they're putting the football team in a bad situation with the three payout games. But that's the way it manifests is usually they get annihilated in all those games. And then once you get into October and they're playing these MAC teams, it's like a one-in-three Kent State team that you've seen lose by 50 points three times. Now, now they're facing a different team that, you know, maybe has a better record because they, they don't play nearly as hard of a schedule, whatever. And then you can get value on Kent State. So that's what I was sitting dead right on coming into it. Then I ran my numbers and my numbers were, uh, to quote Lee Corso, said, not so fast, my friend. On, on this or, or that the rest of the market was thinking exactly what I was thinking. And that that sort of pulled the, the line the other way. But right now we got a line of Kent State minus three and a half at Miami of Ohio, whereas my line on this game is Miami of Ohio minus 1.7. Uh, Miami of Ohio, a team that just got upset at home by Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo, a team that that or, uh, it was on the – Miami was at, at Buffalo, but they, they they did lose that game. Buffalo was a team that the market had liked before and had missed on it, missed on it, missed on it, and then finally Buffalo got right playing this Miami of Ohio team. The week before, though, Miami of Ohio had beaten Northwestern you can certainly uh, nitpick Northwestern as a team as far as being a big 10, big 10 team, but like for Miami, Miami of Ohio, that was a big win. Um, and then the, the other games they played was Kentucky and Cincinnati and then an FCS team. So it's hard to get information about uh, Miami beyond that. Kent state is stuck in everybody's head because they played Georgia so well. Right. And then last week um, we might've gotten more value on the others, like for pushing it towards Kent state or uh, yeah, Kent State getting the value. So, so, so the line getting pushed more towards Miami of Ohio. Had Kent State not held on for an overtime win against Ohio last week, um, Ohio was able to keep that one close. And then, you know, of course, in uh, overtime, that that's where uh, Kent State ended up winning by a touchdown. 
in terms of the overall talent uh, and, and again, the schematics and, and who I trust in it, I trust Sean Lewis a little bit more. Um, he can say did lose some guys over the, they, they lost their starting quarterback, a kid that actually got a look from the NFL, went to the combine, stuff like that. They have a new quarterback. They have some new, new, uh, guys in important, uh, spots on, on their team, skill positions, et cetera. But with, with where my numbers are telling me, instead of this game being a Sunday bet on Kent state, it became a, I need to sit back and I need to handicap this game during the week and decide if my preconceived notions or you know disposition heading into it of preferring Kent State provisionally if if that is what I actually believe after I dig into the numbers the matchups of the one team's you know rushing efficiency against the other team's run defense efficiency the explosion on both all all that sort of stuff the the in-game stuff is you know should I ride with what I initially felt or should I ride with what my sort of treetop numbers are telling me it's, it's going to be a handicap for me this week. And it's going to be one of the games that I dig deepest into, I think. And that's the thing, these smaller games, the ones that you're not really thinking about because they don't grab the headlines. That's where you're going to be able to get a better price in the market. Kind of like the next one up here. You already talked about Buffalo. Well, they're playing Bowling Green now, Bowling Green laying minus one and a half in this game. Where are you going in this one? Because your line says it should be very different. Yeah, Buffalo is, you know, I, I, I talked about like the market where the market in, if I'm recalling right, it was weeks two and three where the market was like, it. Th- there was so much action going in on Buffalo where you're like, you're if you've done this for long enough, you're looking at the line moves and you're looking at the tickets bought and stuff like that. And you're just sh- sort of scratching your head of like, who knows more about this game than I do and what do they know? But then Buffalo misfired in both of those spots. And there were some people with some deep pockets that lost money in both those games. What's really interesting over the past two weeks, that has not been as much of the case. That The market has not been as hot after Buffalo as they were. The last two weeks are the ones that Buffalo won. So it seems like the, the Buffalo team that the Sharps wanted to see week two and three, they finally showed up week four and five. As far as uh, Bowling Green, they have one of the more prototypical MAC uh, starts of their season. As a as a, in contrast to what I was talking about with Kent State, where Kent State plays that that you know the, like the the Goliaths or whatever. Um, Bowling Green to this point, they've gotten the thing of where they've pl- gotten the they, they played two poor opponents, one an, another G five opponent, and then then they took their medicine on the two road games to the. Uh, you know the blue bloods or whatever but like they they lost their their games very similar scores to ucla and mississippi state on the road um they also had lost at home to eastern kentucky which is the embarrassing loss for bowling green so far but they did catch marshall sort of with their pants down that week that marshall was coming off the big upset win against notre dame bowling green ambushed them the next week won by a field goal then this past week they go to akron and bowling green was a juice favorite they only win by three points in that game against this Akron team that has been been very bad. It's hard for me to get my finger on Bowling Green right now, a, a team whose performance has gone. It, it, it's been, uh, you know, going up and down by this much week to week where you can lose at home to a mediocre FCS team. And then you can beat a, uh, a, a team that just beat Notre Dame, you know, etc. And then when you play down against a team like Akron, that shouldn't be beating any even average Mac opponent right now, or even slightly below average uh, Mac opponent, which I, I feel like Bowling Green, that's what they were expecting to be this year. That's what, what they've sort of been building towards. So I, it's, it, it's a hard one of, of trying to figure out like where your finger is on both these teams because they have been so hard to get your, your finger on. But I, I, I do think that I'm, I would be on Buffalo in, in, in this game. Um, again, it seems like they have finally turned the corner to being what the Sharps in the marketplace, what they had wanted them to be previously, whereas Bowling Green, they're just so up and down, up and down. The thing with Bowling Green is they can catch the sunlight. In, in like We've seen this the past couple of years. The Marshall game, of course, was not the first September ambush we've seen in the past. They did that to Minnesota as well. That one was on the road. 
but it's like in the other games where there's not as big of the lights that that's where they play sort of the expectations. I, for me, I, I prefer Buffalo right now with, with, with where that number is. I think Buffalo should be favored. My line on it is Buffalo minus 3.2. And let's cap it all off here. One final game, Oregon and Arizona, U of a getting 10 and a half at home right now, but Oregon, I don't know. What do you think about them? What do you make of this team? Because the Pac-12 doesn't have many great schools left after the next couple of years with the exodus. Is Oregon all that's remaining? Uh, well, no. I mean, of course, you got USC. You know, they're going to have to figure out. I'm yeah. talking about, yeah, I'm talking about down the road here with oh, them. Down, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, after the exodus, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when. And we'll have to see what the the pieces look like, you know, I mean, like, cause obviously USC and UCLA are not going to be, they were just the first dominoes, but we'll, we'll have to see what the reconstituted thing looks like. But Oregon has looked okay so far, especially when you bring your mind back to that opening game against Georgia, where like, you know, there was some thought that Oregon could be a little bit more competitive in it. Maybe that upgraded the quarterback from Brown to Knicks. Now uh, you had the, the Georgia defensive coordinator, the, the architect of that defense, Dan Lanning. Now he's going against his former team and Georgia wiped the floor with Oregon. But ever since we all, we just totally dropped our expectations of Oregon. You know, this is like a classic life thing, but it's like, then they've sort of turned into what we thought they were going to be initially. They've won the, the four games since then, and they've looked pretty good in doing it. I mean, they, they slapped around BYU when BYU came into that game as a top 15 team in terms of the polls. Um, they won that Washington state game, which, Maybe they didn't play as well as like you would have liked heading in, but Washington State again, going back to what we were talking about before, they're they're a better team than we thought they were going to be. And also, you have to give Oregon credit for prevailing in the circumstances of what what became one of the wildest fourth quarters of any game played this season. So, I mean, you you at least have to tip your cap to Oregon for that for for coming out on the right side of that. And then they 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 whipped Stanford uh, last week, which they absolutely should have. But it's a good mark, you know, it's a mark of a good team to uh, conform to expectations in a game like that, in a matchup like that, because, of course, Stanford has a couple of players that give them a puncher's chance in a game against a superior opponent that's overlooking them. And Oregon clearly wasn't last time. So I'm starting to trust Oregon a bit more. My numbers certainly are uh, in this game. My numbers, this is one of my biggest discrepancies between what my opening line is and the market's opening line. My line on this game is Oregon minus 16 and a half. The market uh, opened it at 10 and a half, uh, Oregon minus 10 and a half. Um, I, I think the market, even though seems like on the, the market had gotten higher and higher and higher on Arizona, you know, the fighting Jed Fishers through the first four weeks of the season and, and justifiably so, right? Like they, they had upset uh, San Diego state by double digits in the first game, they had beaten North Dakota State, who, yeah, it's an FCS team, but a Goliath of an FCS team, a, a team where if they were in the FBS over the last decade, a lot of those seasons, they would have, I, like, I, I'm not going out on a limb here, they would have finished qualitatively as a top half of the FBS team. Um, that's where the debate begins. Like, me, me living in Minneapolis, I, a lot of my buddies are NDSU fans, so, like, they'll argue with you till you're blue, until they're blue in the face that, NDSU could like hang in the, the big 10, maybe not compete certainly, but like that, that they would still be making bowls there. Um, or, you know, if they went to the Mac, what, you know, would, would they just absolutely wipe the floor with people? I, 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 I think they, that, that they would, but Arizona had put together a pretty good resume up until uh, last week when there was some sharps out there that felt that they were going to go into Cal and upset them. And, the game did not go as well for Arizona as some of those initial ones had where they were, you know, sort of going above expectations. Um, and, and this one, this is going to provide an even stiffer test for them because of the athletes that Oregon has. Jed Fish labored over the offseason in attacking uh, with aggression the transfer portal, trying – and and, and uh, also I will say that the, his high school class, because he, he signed a top 25 high school class, but he was looking for projectable athletic type guys to fit into the formation with a nod to matchups like this. He has brought the talent level jet fish of Arizona way up uh, in, in, in relativity to what we usually expect from a year to year basis, but he is still no, I mean, he's trying to build up 
to, to at least not be embarrassed in that regard against a team like Oregon, where you're putting athletes in on islands and you just can't trust them, whatever. Arizona is not quite there yet. And I, I again, I'm surprised that the market is still not that I, it, it's not that I think the market should be out on Arizona for, for losing that one game. Cause I, I actually think Cal's better this year than, than they've been like, you know, like that's, you know, whatever, but that the market did not toggle Arizona down a bit more than they did. It seems like we're still getting that bullishness. And meanwhile, we're still getting a little bit of doubt towards Oregon, where at least me personally, I feel like Oregon has addressed that doubt since. And who knows? I mean, maybe for some people, not only are they sort of not acknowledging what Oregon has done since that Georgia loss, but they are now sort of compounding it with, oh, Georgia struggled against Kent State and Missouri the last two weeks. And so, you know, this this Oregon team that I already didn't want to trust, that was a team that they got whipped by, and they're clearly not impressed. You know, like, however you would justify that to yourself. I don't buy into that line of thinking, though. Um, like, I qualitatively, Oregon is several steps ahead of Arizona. I think they're going to provide them with some matchup problems as well. This is a line that I would expect to be closer to 14 uh, come kickoff time. I'm surprised that it opened up where it did, but I, I do expect the market to correct that and to bring that line cl- uh, closer to what my adjusted line is. I don't think it's going to get all the way up to what my number is by the time kickoff is 16 and a half. So there, there could be value for Oregon betters throughout the week. All right. Well, Thor, that is going to wrap it up here. Once again, if people want to check out the rest of your work for the week ahead, where are they going to want to go? You can go on my Twitter uh, at ThorKU or go to Betting Pros is where all the the columns drop that I do uh, between the power rankings that will be out whenever you're listening to this. They'll be out on the site. Uh, Early week notes, injury notes, uh, coaching notes. I'll be jumping into the Carl Durrell firing in that that column this week. And then going into some of the injuries like, you know, I mean, again, with college football, not having the injury report. That's something that uh, for the first time uh, people in Minneapolis got furious about uh, yesterday because Mo Ibrahim, uh, the Minnesota superstar running back who nobody nationally or locally had reported anything was wrong with Mo Ibrahim was ruled out from the Purdue game like 15 minutes before a kickoff. Um, And and so, you know, in that column, uh, we can't get college football, unfortunately, to change and to, allow us to put out the injury report we, we talked about this before with the hip with regards to the HIPAA laws and stuff like that but in my column I, I try to go as deep as I can as far as finding updated injury information of unexpected scratches what are the statuses of those guys uh is that going to affect the line coming up injuries that occurred on Saturday or Friday or Thursday if, if it was a game then and 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 how that could affect the line the prognosis of those guys and stuff like that and then of course the coaching changes and then also uh, games that I'm looking at where uh, I, I think you can get line value early in the week by betting them because they're games that I expect the lines to move during the week. All right. And of course, you can also catch your podcast on Wednesday with Scott Bogman for betting pros where you guys break down the week ahead and do not miss the Saturday morning live stream, 10 a.m. Eastern time each and every week. You and Mike Farrell going over everything that anyone needs to know, asking, uh, getting any questions from the chat in a live stream to break down the entire Saturday slate. But guys, that is going to do it for us today. Be sure to check back next week and let's cash some tickets.